Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This is The Roy Green Show podcast. Despite all of the commonality between the three of us, we continue to disagree on the question of moving diluted bitumen from Alberta to uh, the Port of Vancouver. The federal government, along with the province of Alberta, have have commenced uh, very significant uh, conversations with Kinder Morgan around uh, the financial arrangements that will make sure that it gets done. Interpretation, you and I will end up owning Trans Mountain Pipeline. That's the interpretation. Now, we spoke yesterday with Scott Moe, the Premier of Saskatchewan, and the Premier gave us some really significant information. I want you to listen to this clip. We'll play back the interview in its entirety later on in the show. But have a listen to Premier Mo speaking about the Premier of British Columbia. The Premier of British Columbia has has no grounds to be making comments uh, on this on the, on this uh, on the approval of this project. It's been approved and they and it should be built. Now he also said that if Alberta passes legislation to not provide energy to British Columbia, then Saskatchewan will write legislation and pass complementary legislation to that written by Alberta. We also spoke to the Premier about this country and what it's all about. Listen to this. Our nation was built on the construction of some of these projects, and they've been very unifying projects for the nation of Canada. If a province such as British Columbia is able to stop one of these projects, it begs the question, Is do we, do we still have a nation? There's the Premier of Saskatchewan. Do we still have a nation? If the province of British Columbia has the ability to stop a project like Trans Mountain Pipeline, do we still have a nation? There's a lot of talk about unhappiness in Western Canada with the Confederation. But when you have the Premier asking the question, the Premier of Saskatchewan asking the question, do we still have a nation if British Columbia can stop the building of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, you have quite the quote Joining me is my great friend and chorus colleague, Charles Adler, who speaks to you on uh, chorus radio stations across Canada in evenings and joins us from uh, Vancouver. Quite a statement from uh, Premier Scott Moe, Charles. Do we have a country? Do we have a nation? Uh, sounds like he's auditioning for a talk show. Well, uh, are you giving anything up? <laughs> Sorry, talk show hosts always ask questions like that, and always gets the the phones to ring. But uh, we, we we have a nation, you know. I mean, I'm not going to start um, doing the the sky is falling routine. We we obviously have a nation. Uh, we've always had arguments. Uh, you know, this isn't the first time we've had an argument, and I, I'm just not going to. You know, do the hysterical, do we really have a nation here? <laughs> do we have a nation? Sorry, uh, with all due respect to Saskatchewan's premier. I'm not going. I'm not going there. Okay. Yes, so, so what? what well, you live in Vancouver. What is the sense that you have about what's happening with the Trans Mountain Pipeline issue from BC's perspective? And what about the rest of the of the West? You speak to Western Canada every evening. What are you hearing? Yeah. Well, you have about thirty percent of uh, BC that's uh, hardcore on on Horgan's side on this. He's got no political downside with uh, with BC until the prices get jacked up. That is, if the nightmare scenario. Uh, happens and Alberta and Saskatchewan stop uh, shipping oil. But, you know, short of that happening, uh, Horgan is uh, doing what about uh, 30% of British Columbians want, and that's uh, what, you know, he wants. I mean, the, the he keeps talking about the coastline, so he's talking about people on, you know, Vancouver Island. I mean, he's uh, certainly representing their interests. He's representing much of uh, Metro Vancouver. Uh, they do see a, a disconnect between the environment and, and the economy, and uh, in their opinion, if you get uh, leaks and if you get spills, uh, you get uh, the destruction of the, the B.C. economy, and so they don't see it as advantageous uh, to have this. They see it as uh, too risky. So having said all of that, uh, you get 70% of the, uh, the province that's either totally indifferent to this or for it. And um, what will happen uh, down the road is, is obvious in today's news conference. You know, you've got the, the Prime Minister who's agreeing to write an open-ended check to Kinder Morgan. Now, they can call it equity position. They can call it an investment. They can call it whatever they want. Uh, they're basically bribing uh, Kinder Morgan uh, to stay with this. They're asking Kinder Morgan, what's all this stalling costing you? And we'll just write the check to, uh, mm. to cover it up. In other words, uh, you know, the politics have been idiotic and they've been clumsy. And they've produced questions like, do we have a nation here? 
And uh, that's going to cost all of us a lot of money. Well, you know, that's an interesting question that Premier Mo posed, though. If you're looking, if Alberta were to cut off energy supplies to British Columbia, if Saskatchewan were to follow suit, then you have a really real contentious problem uh, that, that could lead into a lead to a constitutional crisis. Because you know, at some point, Quebec's going to come into this as well. Yeah, but they're not, they're not going to cut it. Well, for one reason, they're not going to cut it off is because somebody owns that oil, and uh, that's called. Uh, that's called oil companies. Oil companies want to sell the oil. Oil companies want to move the oil. That's the business they're in. They're not in the business of, you know, producing phone calls for talk shows or, or sound bites or, 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 or news copy. I mean, they're in the business of selling oil. So they're not going to be insisting uh, to the uh, Premier of B.C. or the Premier of Saskatchewan that they gum that up. I mean, the problem the oil companies have right now is that there's too much gumming up going on already. The, yeah. the solution to gumming things up is not gumming things up further. My friend, I see this as a little bit differently to you. Usually we see things eye to eye, but I see it somewhat differently. I think we have the potential for a real problem here, not only on this issue, it's significant and it's probably the core, but we have across the country, we have some real political challenges going on and people are at diverse uh, opinions in Ontario, in the West, I hear it all the time, you do as well. I think this has to be really settled and settled quickly. Unfortunately, the guy who's driving the bus doesn't have a license. Well, look, I, I don't... <laughs> I don't agree uh, with, with some of the things you're saying, Roy, but I, I do agree with this. I mean, we don't have a strong federal presence right now. Uh, we don't have a strong national government. I'm just not prepared to do this sort of Trumpian, the world is coming to an end. Uh, the world is not coming to an end. Uh, obviously, minds will be concentrated, and like always, when mistakes are made, people will pay. The people are called the taxpayers. That's what's going on here. Uh, well, they if, knew that if, coming in, right? We knew that Justin Trudeau yeah. was going to be saying what he said, that Rachel Notley would say, would say what she said, because yeah. it's going to be the uh, Canada, federally, and Alberta together. That's at least going to be the talking point, with Horgan being on the outside of things, and you and I will end up owning a pipeline. Well, no, we're not going to own anything. Sure, we're we will. We're going to pay a fine. We're not going to own a damn thing. Sure, we will. Just, just, just watch then. Just watch with this discussion. Watch what happens. We may own some shares. We're not going to own a pipeline. Kinder Morgan's not going to give us a pipeline, and Kinder Morgan's not going to sell us a pipeline unless we're prepared to pay a ridiculously outrageous price. And I don't even think the Trudeau government is willing to to buy the damn pipeline. Now, if they do, uh, along with the Alberta government, buy the pipeline. <laughs> that will be outrageously expensive. Stand by. Like the, there's another one. The there's another one in the works as well. There's the Eagle Spirit pipeline, which is being proposed uh, by Native groups, and that's a 16 billion dollar pipeline that is all on Native land. So that's going to come into the equation as well. But right now, it's Trans Mountain. It's a mess, and the guy who's who's, who's ultimately responsible should have taken care of this before today. We knew what was going to happen when he flew back from Peru. We know what the announcement was going to be. It is going to be, Charles, I believe it's going to be Ottawa and Edmonton. And they will, if they're not majority owners, they'll be close to it. Well, then uh, we have another Ontario situation where we just go into uh, to massive debt. And it's at some point that people will, will change governments. But uh, the idea of uh, Alberta and uh, and, and Canada just buying the, the the pipeline outright is going to be an outrageously expensive proposition. It will be, yeah. My friend, it's always Do good speaking with you. we have a nation here? What? <laughs> I like that. Let's open the lines. Do we still have a nation? <laughs> Don't take Great my question topic. away from me. You can use the clip tomorrow if you want. No. <laughs> <laughs> always good talking to you, brother. You bet. Charles Adler, Chorus Radio. He's one of the very best. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Our nation was built on the construction of some of these projects, and they've been very unifying projects for the nation of Canada. If a province such as British Columbia is able to stop one of these projects, it begs the question is, do we, do we still have a nation? And that from the Premier who told us $1.8 billion is lost annually to the Saskatchewan economy. If Kinder Morgan is not built, is not a reality in Canada. So, uh, earlier in the week, because as all of this was percolating, I got to thinking about issues that we, we talk about a lot in this country, and we've talked a lot about over the last, well, 30, 40 years. And it's had to do constantly with constitutional crisis in Quebec. But now we have an issue that involves particularly Western Canada, but engages all of us in this country. 
And that is the pipelines. Two years ago, it was Energy East. And Denny Kader, the, uh, the spokesman for the politicians of Quebec who sneered at Western Canada and sneered at Alberta and essentially said, well, you're not, not going to get this thing built through uh, Quebec. It's not going to happen. Meanwhile, they have no problem in Quebec accepting tanker loads of Saudi Arabian and Middle Eastern oil coming into, uh, into the province and into the country because money's being made. And I want to know who's making the money. That's always been the question for me. Who's making money off that? Because there's no opposition to that. No opposition to energy, uh, to at least to the tankers going up the St. Lawrence uh, River from the Quebec politicians. They're okay with that. Of course, they also use the St. Lawrence as a toilet. But that's another issue. And so now we're dealing with the Trans Mountain Pipeline. And the question is, should it be built? And the answer is, for most people in this country, yes. It should be built. It needs to be built. It's a national issue, with due respect to the people in British Columbia. It's not exclusively a B.C. issue. It's a national issue. Just as Quebec wasn't just exclusively a Quebec issue, it was a national issue. We all get involved. We all, we all had opinions. And we would all still have opinions if they tried it again. So it was two years ago that I received an email from one of these three gentlemen. They're all Albertans. And I was very interested in the email that he wrote. And I thought, you know, there's a possibility here for a program. And I got in touch with them. And uh, sure enough, uh, he found two of his friends. They came on the show. And we talked about the future of Canada. We talked about their views of Alberta within Canada. We talked about the issues that mattered, and it had to do with Energy East. And I think maybe voting was one of the other issues that we got at because the prime minister was going to change the way elections were held. That never happened. But, and I have the email that he sent, that one of these three men sent to me, and I think it was Jerry. It was you, Jerry, wasn't it, who sent me that email? Yeah, that was me. Yeah, good to talk to you again. And uh, your buddies, Chris and Bill, are with us as well. Hi, Chris. Hey. Hey, Roy. How's it going? Great. How are you doing? Good. Good. And Bill, how are you? Just fine now. Thank you. How excited are you with your premier in, in, in Alberta, Bill? What's your, what's, your, what's your sense of what Ms. Notley has done? How's she handling the uh, Trans Mountain Pipeline issue for Alberta? Well, the meeting that the Three Stooges had this morning with their supporting cast really wasn't anything new to me. Um, they're going to try to bribe us with our own tax dollars. And I'm really hoping that Kinder Morgan turns around and tells them to just go away and starts filing suit against them through NAFTA. I think that might be the best thing that might happen here. So there's nothing, uh, there's nothing encouraging that you're seeing coming from Premier Notley, even though she's saying that pipeline has to be built. You're not, you're, you're not seeing anything really positive from her. No, she's just trying to save her okay. own political skin. Chris. Yeah, I, I got to agree with Bill there. It's, it seems like it's a case of, yeah, the, yeah, don't watch the right hand, what it's doing right now. She's just trying to get herself reelected. She's, she's talking a good game, but even, even she doesn't really want the oil industry in this province. Mm-hmm. All right. And, well, yeah, I, I don't think any of them on, uh, on the left of the, I shouldn't say any, but a significant number of politicians on the left of the political spectrum only see the oil sands as a black eye for Canada and it causes them some embarrassment when they travel and when the prime minister travels. He never says anything really positive about the oil sands. He was in Washington meeting with Barack Obama, and they went to the think tank, uh, which was, I think, John Podesta heads it, the former uh, head of the Hillary Clinton election campaign. And Mr. Trudeau didn't say a word about what was going on in Alberta when the jobs were being lost, other than saying, well, yeah, it's tough on jobs in Alberta. But he didn't say anything to defend the oil sands. Jerry, yeah. what are... Uh, have you changed your view on on anything since we talked two years ago? Oh, not much. I see, I see some uh, more movement, like a more uh, a, a greater desire. I'm on Twitter and I, I, I watch the threads and see what's going on. I get a lot of news off it too, from different points of view. And uh, I think the biggest thing is like I think this pipeline is just another nail in the casket that we call Canada, um, because if if this pipeline doesn't go through, just like Energy East. The resentment is going to surge more. It's going to divide Eastern Canada and Western Canada. And now we've got B.C. siding against us either. 
You, know, you sent an email to me on the 12th of February, 2016. I want to read that in just a second. Yeah. The three of you, when we talked two years ago, it wasn't like you were standing here on your chairs and cheering for the dissolution of Canada. You were, exactly. you were quite sad about it, about what you thought might happen. Correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Let me read the email that I received from uh, Jerry. He sent this in February of 2016. Uh, Hi, Roy. The following covers what I'd like to discuss. And we'd sent uh, emails back and forth about what we'd talk about based on Jerry's initial email to me. The feeling that Alberta should separate or uh, from Canada or form a Western territory with the other Western provinces has been brewing for a while. However, this seems to be a growing sentiment in Alberta. And let me just add, emails that I've seen, particularly recently from Alberta, have underscored this. One of the main things that is fostering uh, this attitude is anger from Albertans, uh, anger that is aimed at the bad choices from the Notley government and the new Liberal government. Alberta has given so much to Canada for a long time. Now, instead of Canada reaching out to help Alberta, it does what it can to hinder pipeline development and leave us struggling. It seems Eastern Canada will rather continue to import 650,000 barrels of OPEC crude by tanker daily instead of using Alberta and Saskatchewan oil. Now Trudeau announces yet another environmental study instead of moving ahead with this project. A moratorium on West Coast tanker traffic has killed the Northern Gateway project and the B.C. government is doing what it can to sabotage the Trans Mountain expansion. Remember, this was written in February 2016. So what is so great about being part of Canada? Oil isn't going anywhere. We need it. Not just for our cars and trucks, but it's everywhere. A world without oil products is not possible with today's technology. So those people who want to give up oil should ask themselves, what are you prepared to give up? Anything with plastics or carbon fiber, the clothes you wear, made from synthetic fabrics, rayon, polyester, lycra, nylon, Gore-Tex, it's all from plastics. Eyeglasses and the lenses, cell phones and tablets. Anyone want to go back to using lead paint in their homes? Latex paints are the standard now. The list is long and oil is here to stay for at least the next few decades. In the meantime, we can find cleaner ways to process it. We're angry at politicians who fail to serve the people who elected them, but continue to find new ways to serve themselves with a bigger power base instead. The Liberal government is planning and working toward changing the voting system to a ranked ballot type that will pretty much guarantee future majority Liberal governments. Who wants to be part of that? Most Albertans have a strong sense of independence. We want less government in our lives, not more. The philosophy in Eastern Canada seems to be the opposite from my perspective. So if this government wants to move to change the voting system, continue to stifle development in the West and wants to keep us from supporting ourselves, why would we want to continue to be part of it? America said that for a long time they need to become energy independent and get off OPEC oil. Alberta oil would go a long way to achieve that. Joining with Saskatchewan even more so. So that's one way to go. Adding BC to the mix could turn a Western Republic into an economic powerhouse. That is our future, or Canada could start working together as one country and work together instead of choking out an entire province economically. Uh, he goes on and concludes by saying, Jerry wrote this in 2016, February, I also feel that our political leaders don't do enough to promote the great strides in developing clean energy technology. Alberta uses coal power, but we operate the cleanest one in the world, employing a four-stage scrubber system and other innovations. Why don't we sell this to China and others that will continue to use coal regardless? I've never heard the media report anything on the reclamation process of oil sands, mines to return each to a boreal forest after the oil has been removed. They actually leave the land better than before it was mined because the oil is removed from the ground. Many of us feel that the political culture is so corrupt and self-serving that it's beyond repair. Sorry for the length, but there's a lot wrong. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. So Jerry, Chris, and Bill in Alberta. Uh, guys, let me just let's start with you, Chris. Um, the pipeline, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, how do you see this playing itself out? What do you expect is going to happen? And what do you think Alberta's role is going to be? At the end of the day, I think this thing is finally going to get built. 
It's probably going to take a couple changes of government, federally and provincially here in Alberta. Ultimately, uh, they will. They, there'll be a new government in Ottawa, and they will make sure that this thing goes through. Because, as I see it, BC doesn't have. They don't have the right to block it legally, constitutionally. And all they're trying to do with this money for Kinder Morgan, I think, is just to give it to them to pay BC for the new compliance costs that they want to tack on to try to stop it. So we're not getting anywhere near the truth from the main players, political players. Bill, how do you view it, and what do you think Alberta's role is going to be? Do you think that you have anywhere near the leadership, either now or in waiting, to properly represent the interests of the province of Alberta? Well, let me first uh, say something about uh, the individual that was talking about the volunteer cleanups off the coast. Is this the same cleanups that you might have to do if the daily barges to Vancouver Island swamp? Because they're chock full of fuel oil and gasoline and things as well. Anyways, um, back on to the other one. We don't have leadership in Alberta right now. We've got an accidental leadership because, as with other areas in Canada, the well, a lot of Albertans last provincial election that were not thinking and they figured they were going to punish a government that yes was out of control and they put this in like rachel notley is dead set against the, the any any oil sands any pipelines anything along those lines like anybody that believes that she is looking out for alberta's interests i've got some swamp land to sell them so i'll bet you the whole three of them and a few of the other ones sat in there for an hour and a half drinking tea and then basically gave each other all high fives and you know, went out and made their little... Do you know, the cynicism that is directed to our politicians is, is, is richly earned. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely. Jerry, yeah. how's, how's this going to play, play out? And if I were to put 100 Albertans, if I were to get 100 Albertans um, into a room together and ask them if they're satisfied with, with how this is going forward, with the Premier saying she's going to defend the pipeline, that she will move to stop energy products being delivered to uh, British Columbia if the situation carries on uh, to her dissatisfaction and the dissatisfaction of the province and the needs of the province. What people say to me? What do you think the consensus view would be? Oh, I think to stop, to, to cut the flow, I think it'd be largely supported. This is kind of getting to be the line in the sand for Albertans. Um, you know, we're, we're being like a caged animal. We're getting backed into a corner, and of course... <clears throat> Being Westerners, we're going to come up swinging, and and what's what what they're doing is she's going to take our tax dollars, our own money, and uh, basically, and they're going to they're going to kind of lay it out for Kendra Morgan. Looks like we'll we'll backstop your project, but don't pull but, away. But from but it. but and she did not go through all the court delay. I got right. I have to take a break in a couple of seconds, but she did not steal the premier's job. She was elected into it. Yeah, I know it was. I think, that, like Bill said, there was a lot of people that were punishing. They were so unhappy with the last government, they right. just wanted to see something different. Yeah, I saw that and in 1990 Redford, in Ontario. You know, she was she was a typical Red Tory, and I mean, look where okay. she is now. She's a high-powered lawyer at the UN, which is... You're listening to The Roy Green Show, heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. I'm receiving so many emails and lengthy emails... With very strong opinions, I just have to read a few of them to you. Not all, not all the, uh, not the entire email, but I'll read parts of the emails, and then we'll get back to our guests. Uh, this email from John to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. He writes in part, uh, and it has to do with our caller from uh, British Columbia, who uh, did not want to see the Trans Mountain extension built. Um, he writes in part, I'd like to add that nothing was said about research done by independent labs on what would happen if there was a spill in the water. Or maybe that's because it showed that heavy oil would stay together and be easily skimmed off the surface for days and up to 30 days, not spread like the oil from Exxon. Uh, last, I'd like to point out how dirty cruise ships are, both to air and water. Oops. What about Victoria sending raw sewage and water from car washes? auto shops into our ocean. What about the pulp and paper mills? Oh, yeah. People are becoming very emotional, have become very emotional about this issue. And it's, again, it's largely because of incompetent political leadership. 
This is an email from someone who does not want to be mentioned by name, and I will honor that. Uh, She writes, you had a caller at the end of the last hour from B.C. here. I believe her name was Leslie. Unfortunately, I did not hear the entire call, but from the portion I heard, she is quite, and then she uses the word, hypocrite, Um, just like many other people opposed to the pipeline. It appears to be catastrophic for the B.C. tourism industry and related jobs to be harmed in the very remote chance of an oil spill in the province or on the coast. Apparently, it's okay to Leslie that the oil industry and related jobs in Alberta are expendable. Just uh, like your current gentleman guests from Alberta, I'd like to know if she's truly prepared for the consequences if Alberta shut off the oil taps and she was forced to other alternatives that she claims exist. Does she ever travel by car? Does she ever take a plane? Does she have a cell phone or other plastics in her life that she'd be prepared to live without? Additionally, Trudeau says he won't write a blank check to Kinder Morgan. Funny, he had no problem in writing an essence of blank check to a convicted terrorist for millions of dollars, and that didn't bother him. Trudeau needs to get a backbone, put on his big boy pants, and do his job. Thanks for allowing me to vent. I, you know, I, I, I didn't agree with Leslie's points, but I thought she was, I thought she was, uh, it was a good call, strong opinions. And whether we agree or not, that's what this is all about. It's what you do on the on this uh, format of radio. You express your points of view and you debate, and I think we can get more done here than apparently is done in some political arenas. At least there's not any collusion. And here's a response to Al in B.C. who wrote about volunteers cleaning up after tankers. Hey, Al, writes John, When was the last time a tanker sank in Burrard Inlet? Are you saying that the harbor master can't do his job? Any tanker can spill oil. An oil tanker carrying feathers can leak oil. That's a scare tactic, Al, and you know it, and that's from John, and he's in British Columbia. So, so many emails to Roy at RoyGreenShow.com. Back to my guests who are joining us from Alberta, as they did two years ago with the issues that they raise about maybe this country not having a future, a united future. Jennifer is calling in from Edmonton. They're Jerry, Chris, and Bill. Jennifer's calling from Edmonton. Jennifer, you want to say something in defense of Rachel Notley, correct? Yes. Go ahead, please. Well, first of all, I didn't vote NDP, and so, but I'm actually quite surprised, and I plan to vote for her the next time. And my reason is, is... First of all, I think she managed the economic downturn quite well. Yes, we are now in a debt situation, um, but she kept people working when the conservatives would have laid everybody off and mortgage payments wouldn't have been made. As for the pipeline, um, I'm getting frustrated listening to your show today. Um, I, too, agree with the pipeline. Um, In terms of the carbon tax, we were going to have this carbon tax imposed on us by Trudeau. By having the carbon tax, which I do not like, it has also gotten us one step closer to getting a pipeline, which none of the, again, the Conservatives have been able to do for four I, years. I don't, know, I don't know how you draw that conclusion. By the way, the carbon tax, I spoke with uh, the former Premier of uh, yes. Saskatchewan, Brad Wall, who said yes. he spoke with Mr. Trudeau the day after Trudeau made it mandatory for Canadian provinces to sign on to a national carbon tax. And Mr. Wall asked Mr. Trudeau, have you done any economic impact study for a carbon tax? And uh, the prime minister said, no, we have not. And remember that in 2014, Jennifer, Australia, which had a carbon tax for two or three years, got rid of it because they said it was harming their families, harming their economy, and harming the future of Australia. Now, you've, you've said a few oh, things. Hold on, Jennifer. Jennifer, you. hold on. You've said a few things. Let me ask Jerry or Chris or Bill to respond to you. They're all, you're all Albertans. Yeah. Jerry, why don't you take this one? Okay, well, you know, if you, if you look at your gas bill now, you see about, uh, uh, my last one was about $28 of it was uh, carbon tax. And I don't really see any place that this money's going other than in the government coffers. And there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of accountability. As for uh, people being back to work, um, as a tradesman, I can tell you there's a couple of hundred thousand tradesmen in Alberta and professional people that are out of work. And the only people that really benefited from Rachel Notley's government are those who work for the government or the big unions, where she's hired an additional 55,000 government workers. So, you know, there's really been 
to the economy because government does not move economies. It's private sector that does. Chris, a thought from you? Yeah, I got to agree with what Jerry's saying on that. Um, as for re-electing Rachel Notley again, hey, that's Jennifer's choice. If she wants to, that's fine. I It gets back to that cynicism of politicians type thing. I, I didn't vote for her the first time. I wouldn't again. All I right. wouldn't do it now. Bill? Well, I'll pass what she had to say on to the 10 or 12 people that I personally work with that'll be getting laid off here in the end of the next two months because uh, their jobs are gone thanks to the overregulation brought in by the likes of Rachel Notley. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. I have a lot of time for my uh, for my guest now. I, I, I've only just gotten an arm um, or the last number of months. Tom Quiggin is a nationally certified court expert on terrorism and security in this country, a civil and a federal court, a criminal and federal court. He uh, has advised and worked with the RCMP, the Canadian Armed Forces, the United Nations. He was active on the war crimes file concerning battles in the former Yugoslavia, and he's the uh, author of Submission, the Danger of Political Islam to Canada. And uh, Mr. Quiggan has, uh, publishes the Quiggan Report, and so what happened, Tom? What happened to you and YouTube? Because you were doing something on freedom of expression, freedom of speech. That was going to be your focus. And somehow it didn't pass muster. What's going on? Can we get the show? And yes, the Quiggan Report is a podcast we were going to be looking at. In fact, we are looking at issues of free speech and particularly how they relate to issues of national security, intelligence, terrorism, extremism, and international relations. Um, When we were starting this project in February, we decided to put a trailer on YouTube just announcing this is what the Quiggan Report will be about, and it was 44 seconds long. Uh, It was there for about four or five days, and then it was banned. So when we questioned YouTube and said, hey, why why did you ban us? We also discovered that at the same time, we lost our Gmail, because Google and YouTube, of course, are owned by the same company, Alphabet. So we lost uh, our Gmail, we lost our YouTube, and when we questioned them, they initially came back with a form letter and just said, you don't meet community standards. So we went back again and appealed and said, what's wrong? Like, what is it we're not meeting with your community standards? And the, re- the answer we got is, now you're banned for life. Before asking the question. As far as we can tell, yeah. So basically, you think what we did, we may have tripped an algorithm uh, initially because we do have the words free speech in there as well as national security, intelligence, and terrorism, which, you know, obviously sort of too many people puts you down as being a conservative of some sort. Um, And then the fact that we pushed it, we figure probably put them over the edge um, and we lost it. Now, a word of warning to your... uh, to your listeners here, Roy, if you get in trouble with YouTube and they decide to ban you or close you down, they will also tell Google about it. And if you have a Gmail account, you can lose that as well. Uh, in our case, we'd had the Gmail account for two weeks, so we didn't really care. But if you've had a Gmail account for five years or eight years or up to ten years, you can lose that, everything that's on it, and you also lose Google Drive. So people that use Google Drive, you can use lose that as well. So this is kind of a serious issue, right? So it's coming out of nowhere. It's being uh, directed by who knows. And uh, as you say, you probably tripped an algorithm, and now you're the one who's going to pay for this, and you've been banned from YouTube for life. Essentially, that's, uh, did, that's what we see. Um, we think there's like two separate problems behind the problems here. One is policy. Uh, YouTube has like platform-stated rules about things you can't have on there. And some of it's quite reasonable. They don't want child porn on there. They don't want people grooming children. They don't want death threats and that kind of stuff. So that's understandable. But the problem they've had is they've done a very sloppy and confusing job of executing their own algorithms. They seem overly broad. They seem ineffective. And they seem to hit groups for no particular reason. But here's the issue, Roy. The, The problem behind the problem is there is a perception by many people, me included, and there's a lot of evidence to show this, that YouTube is more involved in censorship than they are in moderation. Because the groups they seem to disproportionately hit and ban tend to be those with conservative views. Now, interestingly, if you were to go onto YouTube right now 
and type in Yusef Karadawi, you would get a ton of videos by this guy. He's the chief cleric of the Muslim Brotherhood. He advocates the most horrific violence against women and says they enjoy being beaten. He advocates the killing of Jews, the killing of apostates. He justifies suicide bombers and everything else. But yet he's still on there. So there's this increasing perception that YouTube and the other large tech companies are increasingly, as I said, less involved with more moderation and more involved with censorship. I read something uh, last night. Uh, it was one of those nights, you know, some nights you just can't sleep. So I woke up at 2 o'clock. I tried until 5 o'clock to get to sleep. It just wasn't going to happen. So I got my phone, and I just started to just go on Twitter and, and check out some some uh, some websites and some stories, not knowing whether I'd find something that would be good for today. And I came across Ben Shapiro, the conservative um, thinker and, uh, and speaker and writer in the United States. And there have been riots when Ben Shapiro has gone to speak. And he, he revs people up, and he's, but he's exercising freedom of speech, which in the United States is a sign, one of the most, well, it's the First Amendment. So there's uh, very little else that's, or very little that's more significant to the Americans than freedom of speech. And he tweeted about the numbers of conservatives, or somebody on his Twitter account tweeted about the numbers of conservatives who've been shut down recently. And I started to look around, and uh, essentially what I found a couple of times was, these aren't the exact words, but it was essentially not available, not available, can't find it, not available, check back later, not available. Yes, well, I think if you go back and look, because we did the same thing, uh, I think we had the unfortunate bit of timing that we started to advertise for our new podcast in uh, late February for a launch in March. Mm -hmm. uh, and our timing was a bit bad. I think YouTube had just changed their algorithms, and they wiped out large numbers of people, and one of whom may, one of whom may have been that woman that went back and shot up uh, the YouTube uh, headquarters in California. Right. Uh, not just her, but lots of other folks suddenly realized that they had large followerships only to watch them drop precipitously. I for heard no that as well. Reason. I heard that as well. But you're a, you're an internationally accredited person. You're somebody who people know about. You've worked with the United Nations. You've worked with the RCMP. You've worked with uh, the Bank of Canada. You've done uh, work on the on uh, war crimes uh, investigations. So what makes you, or do they not care? Was it did Tom Quiggin's name, the Quiggin report? Did the Quig, did Tom Quiggin's name never really play into their decision? Do you think? I don't think it was my name by itself. I think it was the subject matter and freedom of not, expression. Freedom, yeah, free speech, freedom of expression these days used in the context of national security or intelligence or terrorism or extremism is regarded by some people as hate speech now. If you even talk about these issues, there's something wrong with you. And if you look where these large tech companies are located, and most of them are in Southern California, and if you look at their leadership, uh, YouTube in particular, uh, most of them tend to have senior executives who have incredibly strong, shall we say, social justice warrior credentials. Mm -hmm. And this is leading us to an interesting situation as these companies get so large. So, for instance, we saw Facebook this week and Mark Zuckerberg testifying in Washington, which was, I think, pretty embarrassing for all concerned. But there's some interesting issues to be raised here. And it, the fact is these companies are getting incredibly large and incredibly powerful, and they're private companies. So on one hand, it's a private company. Uh, you're not paying for the service. So perhaps they have a right to do whatever they want, including banning whoever. But the flip side of that argument is because Facebook is so far powerful, because Twitter is so powerful, uh, that they are in fact becoming common carriers. So there may be a change in the law, and this is what some people, including myself, are starting to argue, is that they should be made into common carriers. So for instance, Bell Canada cannot cancel my cell phone because they don't like the fact I'm talking to Roy Green. Neither can Shaw, neither can Rogers, because they're common carriers. Air Canada cannot cancel a ticket on me tomorrow because they say, hey, you were on the Roy Green show and you said something bad about Air Canada, so we're canceling your ticket. By law, they're not allowed to do that. So one of the, the hopes for the future to help build strength back into the free speech movement 
would be that the governments will look at these corporations and say, hey, you guys have to become common carriers. You have the right to restrict certain behaviors. So, for instance, Bell Canada can cancel your phone if you don't pay for it. Um, Air Canada can cancel your ticket if you get drunk and try and punch out the pilot. Uh, but the restrictions put on them are actually quite strong. So hopefully that's where this will lead. But at the moment, I'm not very hopeful. We'll see. We'll see what transpires. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Um, what's the uh, message for the, for the average person? What should the average person be concerned about? Well, I think, I think Roy, there's a, a steady movement against free speech. And traditionally, government was a defender of free speech. Uh, and increasingly now we're starting to look at government as one of the offenders. Uh, in fact, they're tending to come after you uh, for these kinds of issues. So there's sort of an, almost an unholy alliance between, shall we say, a number of people in government, such as uh, Mr. Trudeau here, Angela Merkel, Prime Minister May, uh, Jean-Claude Juncker of the European Union, uh, former President Obama, folks like that, who are globalist, they are elitist, uh, they are pro-migration, they are anti-border, and they're anti-capitalist on average. Um, and they see that large parts of their ideology are starting to unwind on them. Uh, and rather than face this or try and come up with a different way of uh, debating these issues, it's easier for many of them just to silence it. And so lying, but lying beneath this also is a anti-European, anti-history kind of view of the world. Uh, which is very anti-conservative, anti-Christian, anti-capitalist. And one of the most amazing examples just in the last couple of weeks is Facebook shut down the Franciscan University of Steubenville, Ohio, uh, when they had a series of advertisements running on their Facebook page. And the Franciscan University was running ads to promote a master's degree in theology, of all things. They got shut down, and when the, when the Franciscans complained and said, hey, why are you shutting our advertising site down, which we paid for, they were told you can't use images that contain excessively violent content. And it turns out the excessively violent content they were using is a picture of an 11th century crucifix. You're listening to The Roy Green Show. Heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. So what exactly were you getting at? What were you going to be talking about? What, was the, what were the points that could be taken from that promo that would upset the algorithms of, uh, of, of, of YouTube? I think the audio material there, plus the written material, as we mentioned, focused very heavily on freedom of speech, yeah. on issues of security, intelligence, extremism. Okay, and so what you told us earlier, that was in the promo. Yeah. So anybody who wants to do that, as you've said, anybody who decides that this is something they want to pursue under the heading of freedom of speech, freedom of expression, could be banned for life. That's, in fact, what happened to us. And what surprised us the most was when we went back and appealed the first time and the second appeal, uh, we got essentially the same thing. And we think the first one was probably an algorithm. The second one, we're not sure. But the third one, we think there was an actual human being behind it. Uh, hard to say. But at any rate, uh, the mere mention of freedom of expression or freedom of speech now is enough to trigger um, some of the, uh, shall we say, more uh, politically correct folk out there. Um, it, it's worrisome. It's, it's very concerning. And I pointed out that um, one of the chief investigators of a human rights tribunal, and I'm sh pretty sure it was Ontario. You may know more about this one than I do, Tom. But uh, when he was testifying during uh, the, the hearing, and I, f I don't remember what the case specifically was. It was a number of years ago, but I will never forget hearing that the chief investigator, and I think he was one of the main investigators for the human rights tribunals in the province of Ontario, period, he said freedom of expression or freedom of speech does not exist in Canada. It's an American concept. <laughs> that is worrisome. Yeah, it's terribly worrisome that he would say that. Um, the actual term freedom of speech is very much sort of an American thing, First Amendment and all that. But it shouldn't be forgotten that the concept of freedom of expression, freedom of opinion, comes to us through the Renaissance, through the Reformation, through the Enlightenment, etc., etc. Here in Canada, our actual Charter of Rights, and I just looked this one up during the break, says we have freedom of thought, belief, opinion, and expression. 
So it doesn't actually say freedom of speech, but it does say freedom of opinion and expression, which, of course, is freedom of speech in anybody else's life. Where is this leading, do you think? Um, I think it's leading in much the same direction that the universities are going, that there are people who are cultural relativists, people who are the worshippers of political correctness, who believe that there is only one form of opinion allowed, and they actually break it down into what's acceptable within their world, and then everything else is an enemy. So for a lot of folks who have a conservative point of view, whatever, they'll say, well, there's many different points of view, and as a conservative, I'm a free speecher, so I support other people to speak on their opinions, even if I disagree with the opinion itself, because I recognize that freedom of speech and freedom of expression are fundamental natural rights, and this is what actually drives our society ahead. If we don't have freedom of speech, our society will go backwards. Um, but unfortunately, for these folks who are, who are essentially cultural Marxists, there's their opinion, and then there is evil and wrong, and or they'll describe it as racist or Nazi or whatever. And yeah, to me, it's very disturbing in the sense that it is part of this identitarian politics, uh, which is starting to drive more and more of our society. In other words, it's being used to divide people. Uh, so freedom of speech actually used to be something that everybody could agree upon, even if we didn't agree upon the things we were discussing. Well, it was fundamental to who we were and what we did. Yes, and it's worth remembering that it was through the Reformation, through the Renaissance, and through the Enlightenment that we actually got the idea that individuals could exist as individuals and they could have agency. They could have agency because they had ideas and thoughts and they could express them. And that's what drove the Western world to create technology, to create freedom, yeah. to create democracy, to create human we rights also fought. We also fought wars for the fundamentals of democracy. And again, one of the key fundamentals is the right to express yourself freely. And, yeah, well, uh, and, and and then to also be countered freely, and we move forward with that kind of understanding and that kind of arrangement. Yeah. But social media is, uh, is maybe changing the parameters, and clearly in your case it has, and I would imagine for other people as well. If you're uh, somebody who has run into an issue with uh, social media and uh, freedom of expression, 800-263-2428, um, I, 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 frankly, I worry about it a great deal because I'm also seeing it more. I'm seeing more controlled speech in uh, in, in in Parliament, and I, I was thinking about when Dr. Kelly Leach was talking about needing, uh, wanting to have a test for newcomers to Canada, and uh, a Canadian values test. Now, I didn't see anything wrong with that. To me, that was just. Uh, again, an, uh, an objective of somebody who was running for political office, and yet she was described as, you know, in the terms that you well know and most of our listeners are aware of, and the whole idea of her having the right to put forward this position was shouted down. Yeah, it's quite frightening to see that freedom of speech, freedom of expression, is now not even seen as a value. It's seen as an actual problem. We have to be against it because it allows people agency. It allows individuals to think and move and to have ideas of their own. And folks who are cultural elitists, like Mr. Trudeau is a very good example, but he's just one of many, believe that there is only one form of opinion allowed and anything else needs to be shouted down immediately rather than debated. So hence this need to shut down discussion rather than discuss it. Well, here's an so, example for you. When one of the town hall meetings, when uh, the young woman brought up the issue of uh, mankind, and the Prime Minister re responded with people kind and was ridiculed for doing so. His chief advisor, uh, Gerald Butts, um, tweeted that uh, people, essentially, there were people who disagreed with the Prime Minister or who laughed at him uh, were Nazis. Yeah, I was quite shocked to see he actually used the word Nazi. He didn't just say, like, alt-right wing or neocon or something like that. Like, we were actually lumped in with everybody else to be called Nazis. And, I mean, this is part of, this is a signal, or in the intelligence world, we would say it's an indicator and warning of the thought process of uh, Gerard Butts and the people that are uh, working with Trudeau. In other words, you either agree with the prime minister or you're a Nazi. And that's our interpretation of free speech as far as they see it. Um, another indicator of this, of course, is this whole summer jobs program, uh, where the government will fund you for if your organization creates summer jobs for students, 
And now you have to sign a form that says you agree with their position on abortion or you don't get the money. And some people see that as a social justice issue, i.e. you're for abortion against or whatever. But the larger issue behind this, it's a freedom of speech issue. In other words, the people that are being hammered on this are mostly church organizations, and I've actually run into a couple of them. And this is a way of the government using its power, in this case spending taxpayers' money, to force people to either go along with the government on their view on a certain issue or get hammered because of it. Uh, and it sort of shows the sort of totalitarian nature that is behind the likes of Gerard Butts and people like that. Here's another thought, Roy, that we, we tend to forget uh, that rights are not solid, that they're not eternal. In fact, rights are something that is gained with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering and a lot of blood, and they can last one or two generations and then quite literally disappear. So a lot of people look at me and go, well, it's in the Constitution, I'm not worried about it, it's all good. And it's like, no, there are women alive today who were not persons when they were born. They didn't have the right to be seen as a person before the law. That only happened in the 1930s. So let's not forget that our rights are temporary. Mm -hmm. They can be removed at the whim of government, and it's something we have to work on continuously. And what folks like young Mr. Trudeau and others are aware of is you can grind these down very uh, sort of slowly in a way that you just take one little issue at a time. You don't actually just ban free mm -hmm. speech, but you start banning little individual parts of it. And very, very quickly, you can turn that into a situation where no one is allowed to speak out against the government of the day. And I'm fascinated by the fact we're having this conversation, because if you told me five years ago I'd be on the radio with a guy talking about free speech and why, why I'm afraid of the government, I quite literally would have laughed at you. Uh, now I'm not laughing. Now I see this as a real problem. Five years ago, it would never have been an issue that would have been raised. I would never have considered it as an issue. I never would have thought of it. That now, what, now, when we, now, when we talk about the things that we're talking about, the explanations you're giving us, frankly, it was so sobering to hear you say that there are women who are alive today who were not considered to be persons when they were born. Constitutionally, they, they, they did not exist in that, within, that, uh, within that definition. I worry now, after this conversation, about... The youngest of the young who are just at starting to attend school, what is it they're being told? What is being implanted into their fertile minds when they go home and their parents bring up a point or raise an issue? Does the child say, well, you're not supposed to talk about that. We learned that in school. And does the parent then back off because the parent doesn't want to get into an argument or into a, into a, uh, into a, into a fight with uh, – with school policy or, you know, you know how it goes. You just, you just talk about something else instead of taking it head on. And I, I worry about what's being implanted into fertile minds. Yes, well, this is an issue. I mean, if you look at what's going on, I mean, the province of Ontario is a wonderful example, but the rest of Canada is not much different, is that education used to be about basic learning, reading, writing, arithmetic, as we mm -hmm. used to say, mm -hmm. and then a certain amount of what we called civics, i.e. learning the, uh, you know, cities, provinces, the federal government, the Constitution, and all that sort of stuff. Right. But now, I mean, education has slid away desperately from being uh, the goal of education is no longer a liberal goal, which is to say to get people to think, to get them to be able to work in a society, get to be able to understand. It's now become a very servile sort of uh, situation where people are taught how to think about certain problems. Uh, they're not taught to think generally, and it's actually quite unnerving it to is. watch that process happen. Tom, um, I, I have to run, but I appreciate you joining us. Thank you so much. I'm, I hope you get this situation squared away with uh, YouTube, and if we can be of any help, well, I'm well, standing, standing right beside still, you. Yeah, we're still on Patreon, we're still on SoundCloud, etc., etc. Okay. I doubt we're ever going to reappear on YouTube, but we're going to keep plugging. So thanks right. again, Roy. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Tom Quiggin on The Roy Green Show. You're listening to The Roy Green Show, heard weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML. Well, as far as the weather is concerned, I can just tell you this in southern Ontario. It's been January for the last uh, 24-odd hours. Ice storm and just miserable, miserable driving, and you can just hear the stuff pounding on your windows. And I just wondered and worried about we might have some major problem develop. Some 80,000 people uh, had their... 
hydro uh, cut off. So I guess that's a significant problem. But where I was living, thankfully, we're, also, we're, we're always interested in our own situation. My light stayed on, so I'm fine. Lauren McNabb joins me on the Roy Green Show on the Corus Radio Network. She is a news anchor for Global Winnipeg. And, Lauren, you had a, an interesting time trying to get to uh, the Jets hockey game last night in uh, Minnesota. What happened? I can honestly tell you, Roy, I don't think I've had that much stress just trying to go to a game and have some fun. But we're down here covering the, the game between the Wild and the Jets, and the drive down was just incredible. If people haven't heard, Minnesota, much of southern Minnesota, was walloped over the last 48 hours with snow. It's actually still snowing now. In some parts, up to two feet of snow fell. That's 30 to 50 centimeters falling. And as we were driving down yesterday, we just couldn't believe it. It went from just being this beautiful drive to just complete chaos. Uh, there were cars in the ditch, semis in the ditch, pickup trucks in the ditch. Wow. And it wasn't the whiteout conditions, Roy. It's more, you know, when you're driving and the snow is so thick that you, you kind of lose control of the car. Right. It's increasing regularity. And so we could feel it be pulling us all the time. And so for the last hour and a half, I'd say we were going 30 to maybe 50 kilometers per hour. So that seven-hour trip went from being seven hours to at least 10. And then, of course, you pull into your hotel and breathe that real sigh of relief. It was, it was incredible. I don't know if I've seen that sort of snowfall in a short period of time in quite a long time for myself. And that is very frightening when that happens. When you're on the road and, and the car control becomes questionable, and then you always have somebody with a four-wheel drive who decides that they uh, they don't have to have they don't have the same problems you have, and they're going to show you how to drive. But it goes on; it just seems to go on interminably. You just don't yep. get to where you want to get to or where you need to get to, and you have no idea what's waiting for you when you get there. Right? Well, at one point, I'm driving with our sports reporter Ross, and he says, "Loren, like your map has to be wrong. You said it was an hour, an hour ago, but it just kept getting slower and slower." And you're right. You know, I think a lot of people, especially in southern Minnesota, I mean, it was green grass here just a few days ago i think they took their snow tires off and so now they're driving in snow and it felt like around us there was a lot of people driving like it was the start of the winter season you know when you see people making sure errors because they sort of forgotten uh how to drive perhaps. Yeah. and so all around us i felt like there was a lot of people they you know they're in suburbans they're in pickup trucks they're in suvs and they're barreling past us and sure enough you see them in the ditch a couple of kilometers later because it just it wasn't meant for that no thankfully we didn't see anyone you know that in our drive anyway where there's an ambulance involved just a lot of cars just getting stuck just trying to get off the exit ramp but um you know people uh, it's funny to me after a whole winter season how they can still make foolish decisions after all this winter driving we've been through do you want to hear a foolish decision go for it so i had a i talked about this earlier on the show but i'll run it by you i had a four-wheel drive SUV with uh, Blizzak snow tires on it until Thursday of last week. <laughs> <laughs> I now have a car with rear-wheel drive with summer tires on it. Of course you do. Why would <laughs> why would you be like anyone else, right? I mean, come on. I don't think anyone saw this coming. It's no. Minneapolis-St. Paul, they haven't had a blizzard like this since 2005. So they're, it's really caught them off guard. And then it, it might add up to be, you know, an historic amount of snow for this area for April because it's April. And I just had a Minnesota Wild fan say to me, you're not going to hold this against us. Like, you're going to come visit us again. <laughs> we're usually a lot more welcoming this than this, but it, like the snow is still falling now. So we're, you know, 40 past 48 hours into this. It's incredible. So you're still, you're still in uh, Minneapolis. Yeah. The game is tonight. Game three, right. Minnesota wild and the Winnipeg Jets. And it even delayed the Winnipeg Jets. They couldn't get on their plane uh, or couldn't get to Minnesota yesterday. They tried and got to diverted. And so they got in late. And so the snows really impacted everyone. But that being said, you know, West hockey fans, they're coming out in droves already. And I've seen, of course, a lot of Minnesota Wild jerseys, but at least 100 Jets fans who made the trek down here, even through that blizzard, because it's hockey and they want to cheer their team on. Yeah, one of the important things, and and the Jets are up to nothing, so I hope hope it all turns out well. Um, But one of the important things is when you're caught in that kind of weather, that kind of traffic, and you're in in a vehicle, it's always good to have somebody with you. So you're not on your own because that steering wheel becomes so so much a part of your fingers that by the when you get out of the, the car you can't let go of the wheel it's so true and we actually drove down in two vehicles yesterday right. so it's myself our sports reporter ross and our camera person jordan and so i alternated back and forth between vehicles because i felt bad for everybody who was driving alone i know what it feels like you sort of i think it escalates the fear that maybe you shouldn't be on the road unless someone's telling you you know what it's okay we're okay 
And every time the car sort of pulled in one direction and one of the drivers would say, you know, one of my colleagues would say, oh, I don't know. I'd be like, it's fine. I can see the road. Just pull to the left a little bit. So I think the, the team aspect of the drive helps because I also have done that alone and been caught in the storm and have been near tears because you sort of just feel that sense of um, real isolation, like I'm out here and what am I doing out what here? What am I doing? <laughs> I need to get off this road, right? right? Well, I wish you a very, first of all, I hope it's a great hockey game with the right outcome. And uh, wish you a very safe drive back to Winnipeg. Not that you ever have to worry about snow in Winnipeg, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite an adventure. Thank you, Lauren. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Anytime. Thanks. Take care. Lauren McNabb from uh, Global Winnipeg. What an adventure. It's just been a crazy, crazy weather. The Roy Green Show, weekends from 2 to 5 on 900 CHML.